This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. Another week, another couple of Hasidic stories, Be'ezat Hashem. But before we begin, I want to dedicate this episode to the continued success of our soldiers in Gaza, Lebanon, Yehuda and Shamron, and wherever they are. The returning of all the hostages, whole, healthy, and complete. The refuash of everyone who's been injured or is sick. And the comforting of the families who lost loved ones. May Hashem protect our soldiers and keep them safe and the hostages as well. The first story starts off at a bris, a brit milah, a circumcision. There weren't so many people there, around 20 or 30 people, and it wasn't a very fancy brit milah. There was just some herring, some pickles, a few rolls, but it was a celebration. Because there was a couple, the husband whose name was Rabbi Yitzchak, who had been married for more than 20 years, and they still did not merit to have a child. And here, after 20 years of waiting, they were having the Brit Milah, the circumcision of their son. But even though there was a small crowd there waiting for the circumcision to begin, Rabbi Yitzchak was not ready to start until a special guest showed up. And the crowd was getting a little impatient. An hour had passed, and then another hour had passed. People said they had things to do. People were looking at the little bit of food and they were hungry. But Rabbi Yitzchak said, no, I'm not starting until a special guest shows up. Please, friends, just a few more minutes. And then, in the back of the shul, an old man who looked like he was homeless. His clothes were torn and patched together. He was a little dirty and he walks into the shul. Some people thought that he was coming for a handout. Maybe he wanted to eat or he needed some tzedakah. But as soon as he entered, Rabbi Yitzchak had a huge smile on his face. And he said, ah! The guest has finally arrived. Now we can begin. And everyone was relieved to start the breed, but they were more surprised to see when Rabbi Yitzchak asked the homeless guy to be the sandak. The sandak is considered a great honor. It's the person that holds the baby during the circumcision. And normally, it's reserved for the father of the child or the grandfather or an honorable rabbi. But here, Mr. Homeless was being asked to be the sandak. And he sits down on the chair, and the mohel says to hold the baby. He holds the baby, prepares him, and then shouts out, Breeze Kodesh! Does the circumcision. <coughs> they say the blessing afterwards, and when they turn to the father and say, What should the child be named? The father looks at the sandak and says, What should we name him? And the sandak, of course, is the homeless guy. He says, Call him Shlomo. And afterwards, I'll explain why. And so they named the baby Shlomo, and the Sandak had a little something to eat and drink. And then he talked about how Shlomo, King Solomon, was offered one wish by Kadosh Baruch Hu, by Hashem. He could have had riches, could have had power. But what did King Solomon, Melech Shlomo, ask for? He asked for wisdom. And so the Sandak said, This child will also be blessed with wisdom and will merit to teach his fellow Jews wisdom as well. And then the old man, Sandak, he said, L'chaim, everyone, L'chaim! L'chaim! 
swallowed down a little bit of vodka, and then walked out. People were a little confused. So they turned to Rabbi Yitzchak and said, Yitzchak, what's the story, man? What kind of crazy people do you bring around this shul? And Rabbi Yitzchak said, I'll tell you the story. It's actually a long story, but I'll make it short. For many years, of course, you know, my wife and I were married. We didn't have children. And we're also very, very poor. You know, our house is the last house at the end of town. And it's just a one-room, run-down house many nights. Because we had no money, we had to go to sleep hungry. But that didn't bother us as much as not having children. We did everything. We davened all the time. We gave tzedakah. We did acts of kindness. But for 20 years, nothing happened. And then one day, I'm out in the forest collecting some mud in order to make bricks so I can sell them in the marketplace. And as I'm digging in the mud, what do I see? Something shiny that catches my eye. So I start digging it out. And as I dig around, I realize it's a huge, precious stone. Something like I'd never seen in my life. And so I dug all the way around it and I took it out of the mud. Then I poured some water on it, and it was shining. It was glimmering. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. I took it, put it in my bag, and ran home to my wife to show her the incredible bracha, the incredible blessing that we had just been given. She said to me, go to the jeweler and see what it's worth. And so I went into town to the local jeweler, and he looks at it, and he looks at me, and he says, where did you find this? I told him, it's not important how I found it. I just want to know what it's worth. He said, well, it's a diamond. And it's the largest diamond I've ever seen in my life. My guess is it's worth so much money that it's priceless. No one would ever be able to put a sum on what this is worth. So I thanked the jeweler and I ran home to tell my wife, Hashem decided that we're no longer poor. We are going to be so wealthy. The jeweler says, this is worth a fortune. So we knew that we couldn't keep the gemstone. We couldn't keep the diamond in our house. Someone would come and steal it. But I didn't want to take the first offer that was given to me. So I took the gemstone and went to another town to see how much he would offer for it. And a few minutes after I left, the jeweler showed up at my house. Of course, I wasn't there. My wife answered the door and he poured a bag of golden coins on the table. And said to my wife, I'd like the diamond in exchange for these gold coins. And it was an absolute fortune. And my wife almost took the money. But then at that moment, the jeweler said, you know, the priest is going to be very happy to get this diamond. And my wife said, what do you mean the priest? He said, well, he's been looking for something like this for his church for many years. And I'm buying it to give it to the priest. The second that my wife heard that it was going to be used for idol worship, she almost fainted. We were going to be supporting idolatry, but she stayed calm. And she told the jeweler, please take your coins and go. I can't sell the diamond without speaking with my husband first. And when I came home, my wife told me the whole story. And I was sure that if Hashem wanted us to be rich, and he gave us this diamond in order for us to be crazy rich, it wasn't going to be by selling it to the church. That's for sure. And so the next day, there was a knock at the door. And there is standing the local Poritz, the landowner who owned all of the land for as far as anyone could see. And he said, I would like to ask you a favor. I'm going to go abroad by sea, and I'm going to have many business dealings with Jews. 
And since you speak the Jewish language, and you yourself are a religious Jew, I want to hire you as my consultant and my advisor. So I looked at my wife and I said, look, Hashem, first he sends us this diamond. Now he sends me this incredible job. So I told my wife, I'm going. The poets gave my wife an advance for the work that I was going to do. And I took the offer. The next day, we got on a boat and were at sea for several days. We were absolutely in the middle of nowhere. You couldn't see land anywhere. And the Poritz takes out a huge bag of gold coins, even more than the jeweler offered. And he said to me, I want to buy your diamond. I looked at the Poritz and I said, why do you think I have the diamond? And how do you know about my diamond? The Poritz says, it's not important how I know about it, but I'm pretty certain that you have it here. I don't think you would leave something so precious at home. And sure enough, I did have the diamond with me. And I'm looking at all this money and I'm looking at the diamond. And then the Poritz says to me, you know, I could have just killed you and taken the diamond, but I decided to be nice and offer you this money. So please, I did you some kindness. Now you do me some. and Take the money and let me have the diamond. And I was debating, and the Poritz could see it. And he said, you don't understand, my friend. This is enough money to make you rich for the rest of your life. You will never need to think about money ever again. Now, I didn't want to give him the diamond because I knew they were going to use it in their church for idol worship. And I couldn't be a participant in idol worship, even for enough money to make me rich for the rest of my life. I couldn't do it. But here I am on a ship, days away from shore, no place to go. The ports could have really killed me and taken it. What do I do now? Then I took the money from the ports and I said, fine, it's a deal. I'll give you the gemstone. And I went over to the side of the ship and I leaned my back on the rail, and I lifted up the diamond to kiss it goodbye, and I gave it a kiss, and then I pretended like it slipped out of my hand. Oh, no! It went over the side of the ship and sunk into the sea below. And I wanted the poets to think that I had really lost a great fortune. Well, I actually did. And I started crying. Oi! Oi vey! I can't believe I lost my diamond! And the Poritz actually believed me and came and he comforted me. He said, it's okay. It's okay. There's lots of ways of making money. Don't worry. But inside, I was actually so happy because I had avoided being a participant in idol worship. And then the strangest thing happened. Something like I'd never experienced in my life before. Everything became silent. There were people walking around. The ship was moving, but I couldn't hear anything. I just heard a voice, and it was clear that it was coming from heaven. Red Hitchcock. I was shocked. I didn't know what to think. And I said, yes, I'm Yitzchak. Start dancing. Because you were willing to give up riches to avoid participating in idolatry, you will have a son that will illuminate the Torah like a precious diamond. And after that, sound went back to normal. I could hear everything. I was so scared of what happened. I didn't want to tell anyone. And a few months later, my wife was pregnant. We were so overjoyed. It was clear to me that what happened to me on the ship was not my imagination. It was actually a voice from heaven. 
In the night that she gave birth to our son, I had a dream. There was a holy-looking Jew with a long white beard and shining eyes. And he said to me, Rabbi Yitzchak, do you remember the voice when you were on the ship? And he said, yes. And in my dream, this holy-looking Jew, he said, well, now you are going to be given a choice. How shall your son be blessed? With riches, a long life, or wisdom? And immediately I shouted out, Wisdom! Please, wisdom! And the old man, he smiled, and he said, Because you asked for wisdom, just like Melech Shlomo, just like King Solomon, so your son should also be called Shlomo, and he will bring wisdom to all of the Jewish people, both from the written Torah and the oral Torah. Then he added, Tomorrow, at the bris, at the circumcision, please wait for me to show up, because I want to be the sandak. I want to hold the child during the circumcision. And so Rabbi Yitzchak is telling the crowd, that man that was just here, that was the man that came to me in my dream, and I'd never seen him in person. It was only when he entered the door that I recognized him, and I was sure that it was none other than Eliyahu Navi, Elijah, the prophet, who of course comes to every Jewish Brit Milah, but rarely does anyone actually merit to see him or recognize him. And that child that was born by a miracle and blessed in such a fantastic way, his name was Shlomo ben Yitzchak, and he was none other than the great rabbi, Rashi, whose commentaries are found on every page of the Tanakh in the Talmud, explaining the Torah and helping to keep Judaism alive for more than a thousand years. I have one more short story for you. This is a story that I heard from my rabbi of blessed memory, Rabbi Shalom Brat who says that he heard it from his rabbi, Rabbi Shlomo Kalibach. There was a Yid, there was a Jew, who used to be a Gerer Chassid. And he was living in Poland before the war, before World War II. And things were going well for him. He was a young man. He was learning Torah. He had a beautiful family, brothers and sisters and parents. And one day, the Nazis come into their house, Yimach Shemam. They took away all of his brothers and sisters. They took his parents. They took all of them eventually to Auschwitz. Shalom should never know from these things. And the whole family was murdered by the Nazis, Yimach Shamam. But this Ger Chassid was the only one that survived. And after the war, he came to live in Israel. He'd become a Zionist. He decided that had he been a Zionist before the war, he could have saved his whole family. But now that the war was over, he wasn't interested in God or Judaism, anything to do with our religion. He believed in the might of the IDF. And he was so angry at Hashem that he decided not only would he not teach his children Yiddishkeit about the Jewish religion, but he did everything he could to make sure that his children would not keep Torah and mitzvot. On Yom Kippur, he would make sure to cook pork for his children. He went out of his way to not keep kosher. They didn't have a mezuzah on the door. Every Shabbos, they made sure to break it. And this is how he raised his children. 
And all along, he was telling Hashem, I'm not going to give you the pleasure of me doing mitzvot after what you did to my family. So he was living in Beersheba in the south, and it's in the 1970s, and it's a hot summer night, and it's hard for him to sleep. So he decides to go for a walk at midnight, just to cool off. And as he's walking, he sees there's an apartment, somebody sitting next to a window with a little light, and sitting there, learning Gemara, learning from the Talmud. When the Nazis came to take this former Gerer Hasid, when he was just a teenager, and took his family away forever, he had been sitting and learning Gemara, and he swore right then and there that he would never open a Gemara again. And here he is, it's midnight, he's in Beersheba, and he's staring across the street at a Jew who's sitting, learning Gemara. And he says to himself, I made a promise, I swore, I'm never going to learn Gemara again. But without knowing why, he finds himself crossing the street, and he knocks on the door. He hears the man get up, opens the door, and he doesn't say a word. He just motions to the former Gera Chassid to come inside. He points at a chair, and the former Chassid sits down. And that Jew starts saying out loud the Gemara that he's learning. And the former Chassid begins to cry, not just because he was learning Gemara again but because it was the same exact Gemara that he had been learning when the Nazis came to take him and his family away. So why did he go and knock on that man's door? If he had sworn that he was never going to learn Torah again, and he was so anti-religious, and he did everything he could to be anti, why did he go and knock on the door? And the answer is because he couldn't get away from the fact that he's a Jew and that there is Hashem. You know, the people that are most anti are the people that are the most connected to Hashem because they really want Hashem to come and save them. And that's why they're angry at Hashem. And every Jew is connected to Torah, just like the former Hasid. Because as everyone knows, it says in the Gemara that before our souls come down into this world, they take an oath that there'll be a tzaddik and not a rasha that they'll be righteous and not evil. And that connection is always there. Once somebody came and asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe, if Hashem wanted me to be a religious Jew, then why was I born into a family that's secular? Does Hashem make mistakes? Hashem obviously wants me to be secular. That's why he put me in a secular family. And the Rebbe answered this person that the truth is, you're assuming that your starting point is the family that you were born into. But the truth is, it's the oath that your soul took before it came into this world to be a tzaddik and not a rasha. The reason why did Hashem make you born into a secular family? That's Hashem's calculation. But that doesn't mean that you're free from the oath that your soul made to be a Jew that's connected to Torah and mitzvot, just like the chassid in our story.
Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. I want to thank the kind people that send in contributions this week and every week and every month and every year and everyone that contributes financially. Thank you very much for your contributions. And thank you, of course, to you, my listeners. Thank you for listening and for commenting and for sharing and for saying hi to me on the street whenever you see me. May everyone be blessed with revealed good, Bezat Hashem, to be healthy, happy, wealthy, wise, inspired, and joyous all the time, or if not, as much as you can. And until next week, my sweetest friends, have a beautiful Shabbos in Zeigesund. Ha <laughs> ha.